Good morning. It is great to see everybody. Uh, as I, I really do love these uh, Sunday mornings where we're all able to come together as a church family and worship the Lord together. I hope you've been having a great week leading up to this. Um, if you haven't, I know sometimes there's uh, things in life that go wrong. Matter of fact, that's just part of the world that we live in. And I want to ask you, what do you do when stuff goes wrong? How do you react? Especially if whatever went wrong is your fault. Do you have a tendency to want to try and hide uh, the mistake that you made? Or maybe you have a tendency to want to shift the blame onto somebody else and, and show how it's not your fault. These are, of course, not healthy reactions to mistakes, but I know that I've done them plenty of times, that I don't want to uh, be somebody that always faces the consequences for my mistakes, but I want to try and hide from them or, or uh, shift the blame onto somebody else. Well, nobody likes it when things go wrong, but it's, it is important that we learn how to handle bad things when they happen. And thankfully, we have a God that's a problem solver rather than a problem hider. You know, he is the one that not only, uh, he doesn't make mistakes himself, but even when other people make mistakes and other people screw stuff up, he is the one that steps in to fix the situation. And we're going to see that today as we continue through our uh, study of the book of Genesis. Uh, so far, we started this a couple weeks ago, and up to this point, everything in Genesis has been really good. Uh, the last two weeks, we've seen the way that God created everything, created the universe. He created um, the, this land and, and made it fertile and hospitable for life. He filled the creation with creatures of all different kinds, and it culminates in his creation of man and woman who were specially created in his image and given authority and responsibility as his image bearers. And he, he told this, male and, uh, this man and this woman that were created in his image to go and be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. He had given them responsibility and purpose. He had given them provision. Uh, he made all this different kind of stuff, all these trees that were bearing fruit. He said, you can eat from any of these you want, all except for one. They had one rule. And we see that in Genesis 2, 15 to 17. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, that doesn't seem so bad though, because we've got all of these other kind of trees. We've got purpose, we've got provision, we've got relationship, right? Genesis 2 actually ended with this idea of God saying it's not good for the man to be alone, so he fashions the woman, and the man kind of sings this song of rejoicing even, like this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, we'll call her woman, she was taken from man. We see that there, uh, God, God speaks about how this is why a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, they'll become one flesh. It says that they were naked and they felt no shame. Stuff is good. Matter of fact, Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So that sets the stage for what we're going to get to today. Uh, I want to pray and then we'll dive into our main text for today. God, we thank you so much that you are good and that you made a world that is good. We thank you that you made us in your image that you've given us purpose, that you've given us provision, that uh, you've given us companionship. Lord, you're worthy of all of our praise. 
And we thank you, Lord, that even when things do go wrong and when we do screw up, that you are there to solve the problems that we create. God, I ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would speak into our hearts. Holy Spirit, minister to us. We love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, and we will start in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. We're going to stop there for a second, because... We have to ask ourselves the question at this point in the story, why in the world would they do something like this? I I just recounted for you how everything was so good in these first two chapters. God had made this beautiful creation. He gave us everything that we need. He'd been nothing but good to us. Yet, here we see that there was one thing that God told them not to do, and they did it. If things were so good in the garden, they had purpose, companionship, provision, why in the world would they chose to go against what their creator had told them? It's a great question, and honestly, as the reader, it kind of takes you by surprise to see them make this choice. Because we can see that it's foolish, right? Sometimes we're, we're much better at seeing other people's sin than we are at seeing our own, though. And if we step back and examine our own lives, we'll quickly find that we oftentimes make similar decisions as well. Where God has told us something clearly, he's told us what the consequences are, we know that he's good and trustworthy, yet, for whatever reason, we decide to go against what he has said. And and we see several reasons given here, actually, for why the man and the woman made the choice that they did, and I think that oftentimes we fall into sin for the same types of reasons. And I'll start with, the first one is just that sometimes we don't know what God has actually said. You know, we're introduced to the serpent in verse 1. We see that he's crafty. And he uses this craftiness to confuse the woman by making her question what God has actually told her, right? He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And oftentimes this is where sin starts. It's with us starting to question, did God actually say one thing or another? I see people twist Scripture all the time so that they can reason themselves into to convincing themselves that it's saying something that it doesn't actually say. I remember when I was in high school, I was trying to help a friend um, see that the Bible tells you not to get drunk. And I took him to Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he didn't want to give up his drinking. So in response, he said that that verse says, well, you don't get drunk on wine, so I can get drunk on beer. Obviously, like, I, that's a real story. That wasn't a joke, though. Like, that, that's, that is, of course, an absurd example, but it's a real thing. And, and we do those same kind of things often, where there's something in our lives that we don't want to give up, 
And so we reason ourselves into thinking that God has not actually said what He has said. The enemy wants to make you question what what God says in the first place. And this is why it's vital that we actually know the Word of God. Joshua, who was one of the leaders of Israel, he was the guy who took over after Moses, and he was uh, helping lead the people of God into this special land that he wanted to give them. And and he had a a responsibility to help make sure that they followed the law. And this is what God told him in Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. It's kind of hard for us to be obedient to the Lord when we don't even know what He said in the first place. You see that when, when uh, Jesus was tempted in the desert, what did He respond with? The Word of God, which He knew really well. Even in times where Satan wanted to twist it, Jesus had an actual understanding of what God was saying and wanted to obey it. Now, the woman here, she was actually pretty close to knowing what God said, though. She added something to it, saying that they weren't allowed to eat from the tree or touch it, whereas the actual command just said that you're not allowed to eat from it. Um, I don't know why she added that part on, necessarily, about not touching it. I can only speculate. Um, I wonder if maybe they were trying to add an extra layer of protection to make sure that they didn't fall into sin. You would actually see the Pharisees do this a lot. Uh, Jesus would get into arguments with these guys all the time because they would say that he was breaking the law when he actually wasn't. Instead, what he was doing was defying these extra layers of protection that they had put up um, as their interpretation of how to keep the law. So who knows? Maybe Adam and Eve were doing this as some sort of a safety net. I don't know. Um, But those safety nets are not going to help you if your heart is not in the right spot to where you actually want to be obedient to the Lord in the first place. And so I really don't think that the woman's problem was primarily that she didn't know what God said, even though she was a little bit off. I think her bigger issue is that she didn't trust what God said. This is the real thing. You know, she knew that she shouldn't eat from the tree, and she knew what the consequences of it would be. And this is where the serpent stepped in to make her doubt the truth of what God said. And verse 4 says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He started to make her question, is what, okay, maybe you know what God said, but is it actually true? What are the consequences going to be? She lists what the consequences. He says, no, 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 that's not actually going to happen. You're not going to certainly die. Too often we are warned about sin and the consequences that it brings, right? The Scripture tells us the result of those things is death. Yet oftentimes when we find ourselves face-to-face with temptation, we don't trust that that sin is actually going to bring death. We think it's going to bring life, which is why we choose to walk into it. And you know, not only does he make her doubt the reality of what God told her this would bring, but he even starts to make her doubt a little bit of her identity that God has given her. Because what is he telling her? Not only that she won't die, but he says, what will happen? You will become like God, knowing between good and evil. Was Eve already like God? Yes. God created male and female in his image. They already had an identity that was like him, but but the serpent comes here and starts to make them question it. Warning her, making her think that that the, the warning about death was an empty threat, and making her think that God was keeping something good from her. And I want to ask, do you ever feel this way also? 
Like when you see that the Lord has told us not to do something that you feel like he's actually trying to hold out on you in some way. If God tells you not to have sex outside of marriage or not to keep all of your money for yourself or not to get drunk, do you think that he's keeping something good from you? Do you feel like he's trying to rob your joy the way that Satan tried to make Eve think that God was holding out on her? If you felt this way, you're not alone. Right? Like we, we see that the man and the woman seem to, to fall for this. Matter of fact, one of my sta- favorite Psalms, Psalm 73, basically uh, speaks of a man who was, was starting to wonder if he was missing out because of the fact that he was trying to live righteously and these people around him that were living so sinfully were prospering. You know, now he, he goes in, he spends time with the Lord, and eventually he sees, okay, I, I see that the result of sin is actually death. But there are moments where we might doubt that what God wants for us is actually life. The God who created everything said that it was good. He's the God that wants to give you life, and he doesn't want to rob it from you, right? Jesus made this very clear. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. If God has given us a command, we can be sure that we will be better off following that than not following that. Like, there's zero doubt about it. We do not know better than him. And when we start to think that we have a better understanding of what is good for us than God does, that's when we start to fall into destruction. When we lose confidence in what God has said and think that we are better able to judge what's actually best for us. That's what the woman did here. Rather than trust what God said, she made her own judgment about the fruit. She saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. She saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. How could something with all of those qualities be so bad? So she discarded what she knew that God said and replaced it with her own judgment. And guys, when we fall into sin, this is what we do all the time. Well, God says that this this leads to death, but I think it's actually going to be good for me. And you know, finally, one other thing. There are probably a lot more reasons I could list, but I'll just point one more out here. Sometimes we fall into sin simply because we just go along with others. We're kind of going with the flow. You know, the woman wasn't going out and seeking to eat from the tree in the garden. There was an outside influence that started to tempt her, which was the serpent. We also see that her husband was with her. He's not recorded of saying anything. We don't get to see what his thoughts are in this process. But he didn't seem to have any problem just going along and breaking God's clear command. Maybe he agreed with her judgment that this actually was something that was good to eat, or maybe he just didn't want to rock the boat, and he said, well, whatever, I'm here, this is what we're doing, I'm just going to go along with it. I don't know, I don't know why he chose to eat. But he died, and in doing so, he was, res- he was just as responsible for this sin as the woman was. And honestly, I think this is how people end up in sin a lot of the time, too. You're just not giving much conscious thought into the decisions you're making at all. Whatever situation you find yourself in, that's just what you tend to go along with. You're not actively trying to tear people down or gossip or use foul language. You just find yourself doing it because the group of people you're around is also doing it. I met a lady just this week on my street. She was trying to come out of addiction to alcohol. She's nine days sober, which is awesome. She's looking for a place to stay. And uh, the reason was because everyone that she knew was also had a drinking problem. 
<laughs> and she knew, man, if I, if I stay in one of their houses, I'm going to fall into this same kind of thing. She ended up staying in a tent in my backyard because it was like I, she needed to be in a spot where she knew she was going to be away from that kind of influence. Let's read on in our story here. See what happens as a result of this decision that the man and the woman made. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay. So we've seen the decision that the man and the woman made, choosing to go against what God had commanded. That's what we call sin. And now we see what are the results of their sin. It's not surprising that things didn't go well for them. But I will point out as we look at some of these results, the first thing I see is that they did actually get a shadow of what they were looking for, right? It, it, in a sense, it did bring a little bit of what they were after. They wanted to become wise uh, by being able to know good and evil, and God himself even says in Genesis 3.22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So I, I want to just be honest here. In a sense, th they got a little bit of what they were looking for. But it was the shadow of it rather than the substance. You see, ultimately what they wanted was to become wise. And yes, they did get to know some of the difference now between good and evil. But in reality, they, become, they became greater fools for choosing to pursue their own way above the Lord's. 
And guys, this is how sin works in our lives today too. So it, it, it might deliver a little bit, right? So for example, if you choose to have sex with someone who isn't your spouse because you are looking for connection or good feeling, like it, it's probably going to de- deliver that a little bit. It's going to deliver a shadow of that. But ultimately, it's not going to be something that brings that long term. And matter of fact, sometimes it, it's going to make the problem even worse. It, it's going to create greater loneliness or it's going to create a sense where you're feeling even worse about yourself. There's, the, the, the back end of sin is more bitter. Ultimately, it works against the joy in life that you're looking for because of all these other things that it brings too. We see that it brought shame. You know, the last verse of chapter 2, before we started reading our main passage today, said, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is before sin. Now contrast this with how they felt after sin. Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We see that they sewed fig leaves together, trying to cover this nakedness that at one time they didn't care about. And this is still one of the results that sin has today. Sin often causes us to hide from God and from each other, thinking that we won't be loved or accepted if others know what we think about or what we've done. You know, sin also leads to brokenness in so many ways. First, we see that their life became more difficult, right? Like the the actual, even natural order was broken by this this choice. With the woman, he says, I'm going to greatly increase your pain in childbearing. Something, a a good gift and, and a good role that the woman had been given to be fruitful and multiply, right? We see that in Genesis 1. She has this incredible ability to be a giver of life. That She's the channel through which other humans will come. And so that is a good thing, but now this, this great and beautiful uh, role and this great and beautiful ability she has has become much more difficult. And we see with the man, too, what happened? The ground was cursed. Well, what was the, the man? He, he was put in the garden, what? To tend it and to keep it. He was already somebody that was working and tilling the land, but it, before this, it was producing good fruit. He says, now it's going to produce thorns and thistles. It's, you're only going to be able to eat essentially through pain painful toil and labor, the sweat of your brow. And so we see that both of these, these good things that man and, women, uh, man and woman had been given to do even before the fall, they still do these things after the fall, but it's with much greater pain because of the way that creation itself has even become broken and marred by our sin. And in the New Testament, Paul in Romans 8 speaks of the way that creation itself is groaning with eager longing for its redemption. But we also see not just that creation was broken, but that the relationship between the man and the woman is even severely strained. The man, at the end of Genesis 2, is rejoicing over the woman as he, as he gives her this name and, and seeing that this is that good helper that he was missing that God has provided. What do we see him do now after sin? Blaming her for his sin. We also see from the woman's perspective, there's an interesting statement that God gives when he's speaking about our punishment. In Genesis 3.16, it says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, there's some, there's some argument about what exactly this verse is communicating, but in the context of what's happening where with all of these kind of judgments, things are becoming more difficult, more strained, more broken— I don't believe that God is saying, hey, you are just going to really, really, really love your husband, but he's going to rule over you. 
Rather, I think this is communicating the idea that the relationship will move from being one that is harmonious and appreciative to one that's competitive and unhealthy. When it says that her desire will be for her husband, we actually see this exact same construction just a few verses later in Genesis chapter 4, which John's going to get to in a couple weeks. Uh, This is when God is speaking to Cain, which is one of Adam and Eve's children, about the way that he needs to deal with sin and the way that sin wants to deal with him. Look at this in Genesis 4, 6 to 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. That's its desires for you. But you must rule over it. Right? We see that exact same construction there. So does sin want to gently love Cain? No. Its desire is to consume him and dominate him. And and yet, what is Cain supposed to do? He's called to rule over it. He's not called to gently uh, rebuke sin. He's called to say, you you need to fight this thing and, and, and dominate it. And so where we see this idea that the, the woman's desire will be for her husband and he will rule over. I think it's speaking about this adversarial tension that will start to come into the relationship where, where each party is going to try to dominate the other one and control the other one. And ultimately, as he says, he will rule over. I, I don't think that that's saying like he's going to rule, he's going to lead you well. He's going to lead you in a domineering way as men have often done to women throughout most societies in history. So we see that there's a brokenness of the creation, there's a brokenness even of this relationship between man and woman. We also see that there's separation that happens. They're cast out of the Garden of Eden. No longer would they get to walk in the Garden with the Lord, right? Isn't that what we see where it says, hey, they heard the sound of the the Lord God walking in the the cool of the day. That's not going to happen anymore. They're cast out of it, and there's even a flaming sword that's put at the entrance to stop them from being able to get back in. And sin today has the same kind of effect on our lives. It separates us from fellowship with the Lord. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 17 and 19. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Say, man, do you know what's going to continue to separate you from the life that God wants you to have and the fellowship he wants you to have with him? Sin. It, It did it to Adam and Eve as they were cast out of the garden, and it still does it to us today. Sin is something that drives a wedge between us and the Lord. And ultimately, Sin brings death. This is exactly what God promised would happen in the beginning. And it is exactly what happened. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, God said that they would die, but they didn't. And I say, oh, really? Have you met Adam and Eve? (laughs) Yes, they died. (laughs) They're not still walking around today. They did die. They just didn't die immediately. But they, they did die a physical death. And not only that, but they also died a spiritual death. You see, there's this, this aspect of we can be dead physically, but then there's even like a, a greater death in the sense of this separation from Lord, the Lord who is the giver of life. 
Look at how Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 2, 1-3. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, right? So he's talking to physically alive people, but he's telling them that they were dead. Where? Where? In your transgressions and sins. Um, so, so we see this idea that, yes, sin is something that brings death both in a physical sense, that's, that's why death entered into the world, but also in a spiritual sense, in the way that it separates us from the Lord and makes us children of wrath. God is the giver of true life, but we're separated from Him by our sin. You know, the passage in Ephesians there, if you read to the end of it, I had it on the screen. I didn't read it all out loud, but it talks about by nature we're deserving of wrath. And Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the day that final judgment is going to happen. And it even speaks of this thing it calls the second death. I want to read this for you, Revelation 20, 11 to 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see that, yeah, there were people that were physically dead. We're seeing this vision of this in Revelation. But there's going to be a final judgment. And at that final judgment, there is going to be an opportunity to either have life, which the only way for that is to have your name written in the book of life, which I'll get to in a second, or there's the second death, this, this eternal place of separation and suffering, this place where death and Hades are thrown into. So as you can see, sin is really, really serious, and it has really, really dire consequences, physically and spiritually. So we have to ask, we, we know now why Adam and Eve sinned. We've looked some at why we sin. We've seen some of the results that that brings. We have to ask now, like, how is it that God responds to, to our sin? And I see here, the first thing is that, that God calls for confession. You know, he asks a series of questions after the fall happens here. Uh, he says in Genesis 3.9, where are you? Calling out to the man. In Genesis 3.11, he says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? In 3.13, he says, what is this you have done? If God is the omniscient, all-knowing God that we think he is, then I don't think it's that Adam and Eve are, are really good at hide and seek and he can't find them. You know, or that he doesn't know what they did. Rather, what he's doing in asking these questions is calling them out to confess what it is that they've actually done. The same way that sometimes I'll do this with, with my daughter, right? It's like, I, I know where she is. I know what she's done. I'm asking her to, to recognize what it is that she's done. And that's exactly what God is calling the man and the woman to do here. We see that he also takes sin really seriously. He doesn't just brush it off as no big deal. Like, ah, no big deal. Try better next time. 
right? Like there's serious curses. The, every single party that was involved has something bad that is pronounced for them. Their responsibilities became way more difficult. They're cast out of the garden. Death comes. It wasn't just an empty threat. And yet, despite all this, we see that God does something else too, which is that he makes a way to be forgiven. I said earlier in the sermon that God is a problem solver rather than a problem hider or problem creator. And we see that in full force here, right? Because we have a major problem on our hands. But even as we see him curse the serpent, he gives a prophecy about something that should give us a lot of hope, something that's going to solve this problem someday. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity, that's like hatred or animosity, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This deceiver, this serpent, which later in Scripture in the New Testament is identified as Satan, is going to have a long-standing battle with the seed of the woman. Right? That's, that's you and me, all of us. She's our great, 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 times, many times, grandma. And we today still have this enemy that is seeking to strike at us. There's still that hatred between us. But we see that there is a seed, this one singular he will crush your head. There's one coming that's going to be a seed of the woman that's going to defeat this age-old enemy that we have had. And we see that this, this serpent, as he's stuck on the ground and he eats the dust, he's going to strike at the heel, but that's, that's not the same as crushing the head. And guys, this, this seed, this is the first prophecy we see about Jesus coming to save us from our sins. Jesus was God but he was born of a woman, right? Significant. Why? He's he's the seed of the woman. Why? Because he's the one that's come to crush the serpent on its head. And he did so actually by being crushed himself. This is foreshadowed somewhat in the fact that God made them garments of skin. Look at this verse in Genesis 3.21. I love this verse. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What is it that Adam and Eve did when they sinned and they became aware of their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together. They were trying to cover themselves. Shame had come into their lives. They realized that they were naked. They realized that they were guilty. And they did what they could to try to cover that up. But it wasn't very effective. Here, we see that rather than Adam and Eve being stuck with their own covering that they created, which wasn't very good, that God himself makes garments of skin for them. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase, right? Like, I think when I was younger, the first time I read that, I was like, does that mean they, like, were just, had no skin before? And then, like, God, no, that's, that's, that's not what it's saying. It says garments of skin. Likely what this is talking about is, the, is, is that God sacrificed an animal. There was some sort of animal skin that, that it had to come from somewhere, and God used this to make a proper covering for them. Now, this is really interesting, right? Because what, how do we get an animal skin? Well, it, it requires the killing of the animal first. 
what is it that God said would be the, the consequence of eating from the tree? Death, right? And we talked about that. It did come to some degree, but it didn't come immediately, at least not for Adam and Eve. But it seems that it did come immediately for something else, whatever this animal was that was sacrificed for the covering of their skin. And in that, we see this foreshadowing of the fact that there would be one that comes, the same one that's going to crush the serpent on the head, that will be sacrificed. His blood, his death, will come about to pay for our sin. And in so, in, in him doing that, we will be covered and our shame will be taken away. Guys, this is, this is what God does for us. We cannot clothe ourselves. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to be able to take away the shame and the guilt and the penalty that comes from our sin. But there's only one that can do that, and that's God himself. And that's exactly what he's doing, providing for his children here, making them garments of skin, bringing about death, clothing them so that their shame would be covered. Guys, this, this is pointing forward to Jesus, our Savior, who died on the cross for us, shed his blood for us, and covers us so that we can have our shame removed. Genesis 3 has a lot of sad stuff in it, yet it's filled with hope. We see the hope of this promised seed. We see the hope from the garments of skin, and finally, we see hope from the tree of life. I want to read these last few verses again about the tree of life. They might seem puzzling at first. It says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, at first glance, that does not seem like a hopeful part of this passage. The fact that we've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden and God doesn't want us to eat from the tree of life. However, I would say, I don't think it's that God doesn't want us to eat from the tree of life ever. Rather, it's that God doesn't want us to eat from the tree of life in that broken state. He doesn't want us to be stuck there. Because he knows that one day he wants to set all things right. And in that day that he sets all things right, we will eat freely from that tree. You know, Scripture is really one big story that's telling us what God has done and is continuing to do to set things right, to solve this problem that we've created. And if you go all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, there's a very cool thing that we see pop up there. This is after uh, the, the new heavens and new earth come. This is after that great white throne of judgment that I was talking about. All this, we see this complete restoration of creation. And look at what we find in Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp 
or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Man, I, I literally get goosebumps reading that. Like, here's this tree that, that we were, were denied access from and kicked out from as, as we fell into this broken and sinful and, and painful state. But God doesn't just leave us there. He makes the garments of skin. He prophesies about the seed that will come to crush the serpent on the head. Jesus goes. He dies on the cross. Yes, he's struck on the heel. But ultimately, he triumphs. He raises from the dead. And one day, Satan is going to be thrown into that lake of fire and will be completely trampled under his feet. And then, the new heavens and new earth will come. And in that new heavens and new earth where all of those whose names are written in the book of life, which comes through faith in the saving work of Jesus, those that are dwelling there with the Lord will be free to eat from this tree whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's beautiful, right? One big story from beginning to end, God is showing us his heart for us and what he is doing to fix this broken world that we live in. So we've seen how God responds to our sin. The only question now is how will you respond to your sin? How are you going to respond? Are you going to try to hide? Right? Maybe, maybe even hide it from yourself. Act like you're not guilty of anything. The Bible is clear that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God knows exactly. He knows everything about you, which is beautiful and amazing because he still loves you despite it, but you will not be able to hide your sin from him. No more than Adam and Eve could in the trees. You know, will you try to cover it up yourself? Those fig leaves, they're not a very effective garment. There is no way that you can cover up your sin by yourself. You need one that's able to do it for you. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Will you try to blame your sin on someone else? There are all sorts of forces that might contribute to us making bad decisions. And it can, can be so easy for us to look around and say, well, that, that's the reason why I am the way I am. Or it's not my fault that I did this. It's the fact that I had bad parents you know, or something like that. And the reality is, yes, some of us have, have been given a, a much easier lot in life than others. But the reality is we are still all responsible for the decisions that we have chosen to make. Every single one of us is responsible for our own sin. There is no way that we can shift the blame onto somebody else. The only one that we can shift the blame on is the one that has chosen to willingly take it upon himself, which is Jesus Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what he invites us to do if we want the blame and the wrath of our sin to be put on Him rather than on us, He invites us to come and confess, right? Call, God knows already. He's, he's drawing you out. He's, he's asking you to be honest about your sin, to confess it, to come to Him and to ask for forgiveness. Say, Jesus, I need you to cover me in your blood. I need to be forgiven of my sin and my shame. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have earned death, but he has given us a free gift. Eternal life with him, where we'll be able to eat from the tree of life that's for our healing. So my question for you, I don't know where you are, 
but how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? All three of those, those first options are all terrible options. None of them are going to go well for you in the end. We've seen sin has dire consequences. It breaks us in this life, and guys, there's even more future consequences to come from it. And the only way that we can escape this problem is to take the solution that God has given us, which is to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, and to follow Him. I'm going to pray. The band can come back up here, and then I have one last thing I'm going to talk about. Um, God, we thank You that You are the one who has provided a way for us to be forgiven. God, I, I pray that there would actually be a, a, a healthy and godly heaviness um, to what we feel right now. Lord, that, that we would see the, the depth and the seriousness of what our sin is and what it brings. God, I pray that, that you'd actually help us to see our hand and um, what's brought about so much of the brokenness that's, that's in our world and uh, that we're not innocent of it. But God, in, in that brokenness, I, I pray that you would direct us towards you, that we'd set our eyes on you and our hope on you, knowing that we need you to cover us. And God, for, for those of us that are covered in the blood of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live as people that are free from sin, that don't continue to walk in it, that rejoice and give thanks over all that you've done to save us. And Lord, for those that are in this room today that, that don't know you, that are still maybe trying to, to hide their sin or trying to cover it themselves or trying to blame it on someone else, I pray today, Lord, that that would stop, that people would confess their sin, that they would come to you and they would put, your faith, put their faith in you for their salvation. We thank you that you invite us to come to you, Lord, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would direct us to you. That you'd call us Lord, we thank you that one day we can eat from the tree of life with you. We pray that you'd be glorified in our lives and that you would direct our decisions, and our actions, our thoughts. We pray all this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Um, so, as we enter into this time of musical worship, you know, I was even praying that there kind of would be a, a healthy and godly heaviness to this. If, if you are in Jesus, I want you to know, like, if you put your faith in him to save you, you are forgiven of that sin. You are covered by his blood. Your shame is washed away. Your brokenness is, is being restored. God already does a lot of things for us in this life to help fix some of the brokenness that we experience, and one day that's going to be fixed entirely. <clears throat> but... I want us to remember what Jesus had to go through to buy us that freedom. And we're actually going to take part in, in a, a ritual that he instituted to help us remember that. And so uh, this semester, I know we haven't done this yet together as a church, but we're going to be taking communion. And uh, when we do that, it's a memory of the fact that Jesus' body was broken for us. There's bread and it, it symbolizes the, the broken body of Jesus. You know, when Jesus went to be the sacrifice to pay the wages of sin for our death, uh, to pay the wages of sin, which is death, for us, his body was broken. He was beaten. He was, was nailed to a cross. 
He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He had a spear stuck in his side. His body was broken. And also his blood poured out. And, and that, that blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and Jesus, when he ate his last meal with his disciples before he would go and have his body broken and his blood poured out, he told them about this ritual that he wanted them to practice remembering what was happening. And I want to read from Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. It explains this. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So if you're a Christian and you put your faith in Jesus to save you and you know that you're guilty of sin, you know that you need to be saved and you believe that Jesus' body was broken for you, his blood was poured out for you, then we invite you uh, that when you're ready to go back to the back, we have some, some bread and some juice. You can take the bread, you can dip it in the juice and eat it. And in doing so, you are remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for you for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are not a Christian yet, if you're in a spot where, hey, I, I don't know if I really believe this. I don't, I don't know if I really need to be forgiven of sin. I don't know if Jesus was really the one that died for my sin or anything like that. I'd ask that you just don't partake in this right now. It doesn't make sense for you to partake in that ritual because you're declaring, uh, it's, it's an act of faith and even de declaring that you believe the gospel when you, when you partake in this. Uh, rather, what I would challenge you to do is uh, go get prayer. Like, talk to somebody if you're not sure about all this kind of stuff and say, man, you know, I'm still struggling with whether I really believe this or not or whether I want to follow Jesus. Like, can you help me walk, walk, walk through some questions that I have? You know, if you don't want to do it with one of the people around here with the lanyards, maybe grab a friend that, that you know here that was, would be happy to talk with you. I'll be happy to talk with you about questions you may have. But as we take this, it is a looking back at what Jesus has done, but it's also a looking forward. Right? He says, I'm not going to drink of this wine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And it's so good to know that, that the sacrifice of Jesus, it's not like it just happened at the cross and then it, there, there was nothing more that came of it, but rather it bought us eternal life. And we know that one day we're going to get to share in that beautiful, eternal, awesome kingdom where the curse is gone. And so when you go and you take that communion, yes, you're remembering what Jesus did, but you're also looking forward to what he has purchased for us. So uh, with that being said, we're going to enter into another time of musical worship here. And uh, as, you, as you feel like you're ready, um, then feel free to go back and, and take some communion.